Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of James chapter 5, verses 7 to 20. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. When I was a student at, at Nazarene Theological Seminary between 1998 and 2001, I remember reading documents from ancient church fathers. One church father said, give me your children until they're eight years old and I will have them for the rest of their lives. At that time, my wife Jenny and I did not have any children. We talked and prayed together and decided that if the Lord blesses us with children one day, we will homeschool our children through third grade so that that we are the main influences on our children's lives through eight years old. When my oldest child was finishing her second grade year, about eight years old, we moved from Houston, Texas to Kiev, Ukraine to serve as missionaries. So homeschooling continued longer than we expected as we served as missionaries. Over the years, I've watched my wife serve our two daughters with patient endurance as their mother and as their teacher. I recall hearing conversations from my home office through the wall to the classroom. I remember thinking, what patience Jenny has. As I start this lesson, intended to be taught on Mother's Day, I wanna honor all mothers and say a big happy Mother's Day. Thank you for your love and patience with your children through the years. Your patience, one of the characteristics mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit, will result in children who see Jesus and grow up in a desire to know him. Patience is not easy to live out. Margaret Thatcher once said, I am extraordinarily patient, provided that I get my own way in the end. <laughs> One person said, I wish I was as thin as my patience. And still another person said, patience is the ability to idle your motor when you feel like stripping your gears. <laughs> the New Testament book of James ends in chapter five with some instruction around the topic of patience. As we've mentioned in the past few weeks, James's first readers were most likely Jewish Christians who had fled Jerusalem due to persecution following the days of Stephen's stoning. For the Jew, the coming of the Messiah was believed to signal the end times. So James believed the church was living in those end times and that Jesus would be coming back very soon for the great day of the Lord. When the Lord returns, James and the believers would expect vindication of the righteous and the punishment of the wicked. The early believers, and truly believers still today, found themselves in the in-between time. Jesus had come and ushered in a new kingdom that was demonstrated in power through signs and wonders. The blind received their sight, 
the lame were made to walk, the deaf were able to hear, the prisoners were set free. What those early disciples of Jesus did not expect was that the Messiah would depart from them physically, send them his spirit to guide the church until his second coming. There would be a waiting time for the Messiah to return. What was their posture to be as they waited? How were they to live? As the first generation of believers died in the Lord, the subsequent generations continued to follow Jesus and more questions arose. With Jesus' new kingdom already here, what did it mean for sickness and death? In the in-between time, what are we to expect? To find out some of the answers to these questions, let's look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, all you need to say is simple is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Jesus promised his disciples that he would return to them. The second coming was something believers could count on. The timing of the second coming, however, was not known. In fact, according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said that the only one who knows when Jesus will return is the Father. James's first challenge to the believers then was to be patient until the Lord's coming. The Greek word translated patience 
or patient can also be translated long-suffering. Remember who James was talking to, a displaced people who were persecuted by the Jews and the Gentiles. The believers were to remain calm and peaceful as they suffered and waited. Waiting with patience is never easy. We say this without thinking in English. We say, I can't wait. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait for Christmas. It's even more clear in Russian, the language that I learned on the mission field. In Russian, when you say, I look forward, you say, Yajdu Sineterpenium. The direct translation makes us laugh. It says, I wait without patience, or I wait with impatience. I'm sure that most of you are waiting for something that is not easy to wait for. Maybe it's relief from illness or disease or pain, or the good news that a loved one has come to faith in Jesus. For many of my friends in the Eurasia North field, we wait for the end of the Ukrainian-Russian war. Some people are waiting for justice to come to their lives. All believers wait for Jesus' return. While I have some sanguine and choleric disposition in me, I also have a little melancholy. I remember when my oldest daughter, Becca, turned nine years old, I had a melancholy thought. I realized that she was now halfway to 18 years old. Our time of having her in our home was half over. I even reduced this to a one-day period in my mind. I reasoned, if our day goes from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., halfway is 1 p.m. So when Becca turned nine, I thought, I've already had breakfast and lunch with her, and we're now moving quickly toward dinner. <laughs> Becca is now 18 years old. She leaves for college in August of this year. In three months, I am feeling the weight or maybe better called the long suffering. Recently, someone encouraged me. They said that the weight seemed worse to them than the actual sending of their child to college. I'll get back with you on that theory in a few months. James uses an illustration of a farmer to help us understand patience. Consider for a moment the time it takes to plant a seed and wait for the harvest. After the planting, the farmer is active in his or her waiting. There's no time to sit around during the in-between time. We have work to do. There is watering, fertilizing, making sure that nothing impedes the sun, keeping pests away, and so on. The farmer waits with expectation, believing that a valuable crop is coming. Just like a farmer, believers are to be patient to be expecting Jesus' return for the precious harvest that is to come. Just a reminder that patience is a character of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. That means that the patience you need is made possible by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Any lack of patience would be a result of self or selfishness coming out. It is always appropriate to ask the Spirit to help us where, we're, where we are weak. In addition to James's instruction to be patient, he adds, stand firm, James chapter 5, verse 8. A direct translation for this Greek is, 
strengthen your heart. The heart in biblical times was the seat of decision-making, not just of emotions. So this is not an emotional get tough talk. It is better understood as reinforcing your decision and resolve to be a Christ follower. Patience and waiting can take a negative toll on relationships if we're not careful. One person said, I'm having my patience tested and I'm showing up as negative. <laughs> James brings two instructions that can help us in the waiting period. First, don't grumble against one another. James chapter five, verse nine. This is the only occurrence in the New Testament where groaning and grumbling or complaining is against another believer. Grumbling against a fellow believer is the opposite of loving one's neighbor, an overall theme in James. Such grumbling was in danger of judgment from the Lord because the judge is standing at the door. James once again uses his own illustration from the Old Testament story of Job. Job never lost his trust in God, even in the dark times. Believers like Job can persevere through difficult suffering, knowing that God will one day set things right, bringing freedom from oppression in its many forms. While we're waiting, with patience from the Holy Spirit, do not grumble against one another. Oh, Jesus, help us with this today. The second instruction given for our waiting is found in James chapter 5, verse 12. James begins this instruction with the words, above all, or more directly, before all things, which basically says, what I'm about to tell you is very important. James echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37. Tradition taught that Jews had to keep the oaths they swore to God. Jesus, however, said that they should not swear an oath at all. They should keep every word they say. James repeats this command and says, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. So when you're patiently waiting for the Lord's return, keep the integrity of your words high. Let your words be true in your actions that follow. Let me just make a comment here uh, to talk about the structure of James. James is referred to as an epistle or a letter. And while it starts off like typical letters of its day with a salutation, it does not have a thanksgiving or a health wish or a proper ending or goodbye. Some have often even referred to James as a sermon. This section, verses 13 to 18 of chapter 5, and specifically verses 13 to 15, have been seen by some as James' attempt at a health wish for his reader. In James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18, James speaks to three situations in the Christian community that they may face, trouble, joy, and illness. First, James brings a question about trouble. Is any one among you in trouble? Verse 13. The Greek word used here for trouble may be referring to emotional trauma brought on by difficult circumstances. I quickly think of people facing the horrible realities of war as an example. James encourages those who are suffering emotionally to pray. 
recognize that God is in control, that should ease the pain of believers who are expectant of Christ's soon return. Prayer, you see, names the reality of God in the midst of the storm as a sign of hope for you and for me. Jürgen Moltmann, a German theologian, reminds us that hope is rarely for the victor. Rather, hope is for the poor and defeated. Because we know that Jesus is coming again, we can endure whatever challenges we face. The second question is, is anyone happy? The Greek word here has to do with feeling good about one's circumstances. This is, in essence, the opposite of the first question about trouble. James commands this happy person to sing a song, which equates to a song of praise to God. The happy person should recognize that the good things they experience are from God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The third question is, is anyone among you sick? James 5, 14. The Greek literally says, is anyone among you without bodily strength? James calls on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. It is noteworthy that James uses the word church here for the first time in his letter. Until this time, he's spoken of the synagogue when referring to the community gathering together. Elders in the early church were usually the oldest men respected for their age and leadership in the community. This third question brings us back to my introduction in this passage. When Jesus came, he ushered in the new kingdom where the blind could see, the deaf could hear, etc. When Jesus returned to the Father and sent his spirit to his disciples, what would happen to Jesus' healing ministry? Dr. Harold Razor, uh, my history professor at Nazarene Theological Seminary back 20 years ago, wrote a very interesting article about the history of healing in the, in the material associated with this lesson. I don't have time to give you a lot of details about the article, but here are a few. The Christian church throughout its history has affirmed the power of God to heal physical and emotional illnesses through non-medical means. God, who had come in the flesh in Jesus, performed numerous healings during his brief three-year ministry on earth. Jesus also commissioned and empowered his disciples to heal, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. These disciples continued to exercise the power of God to heal even after Jesus ascended to heaven. Evidence from the church in the first few centuries indicates that healing was a fairly common phenomenon and sometimes had evangelistic impact. As the Christian church grew and took on the marks of a social organization or institution, healing tended to become ritualized and in some cases, in some instances, ceased altogether. Martin Luther of the 16th century believed that the supernatural gifts of the early church were intended only for the age of the very first disciples. 
The American holiness movement of the 19th century, however, saw a renewed interest in healing among Christians. Holiness people were divided over two issues related to healing. First, did Christ's work on the cross provide equally for bodily healing as it did for spiritual healing? And then second, did the prayer of faith for healing require abandoning medical means for healing? The founders of the Church of the Nazarene felt that this dividing issue was non-essential uh, for the developing denomination. Thus, the church's stance on healing in, Ar in Article of Faith number 14 says this, we believe in the biblical doctrine of divine healing and urge our people to offer the prayer of faith for the healing of the sick. We also believe God heals through the means of medical science. In other words, both miraculous healing and medical healing are gifts from God, so pursue both. Our passage this week ends with James's evangelistic charge. These are the last words of the letter, and the last words hold great significance. Remember, we are waiting patiently on the Lord's return. What are we to do to keep active and expectant while we wait? James says we are to be about helping sinners turn from their error of their ways. James uses the word wander to describe what people do who are lost from faith in Christ. The Greek word for wander is one from which we derive the word for planet in English. The planets wander through the skies while the stars are fixed. Wandering is also what would describe the actions of lost sheep who wander from the fold. James says that one who brings back someone who, is, who has wandered will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In Jewish religious language, cover has the meaning of forgiveness. The idea is that the sins of the wanderer will be forgiven. Because the wanderer is brought back to the truth, past sins are forgiven, many future sins are avoided, and eternal death is conquered by the power of the blood of Jesus. So what are we supposed to do as we wait patiently for the Lord's coming uh, return? I like the way Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century preacher said it. He said this, if, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. We have work to do, church. Let us be busy until Jesus returns. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.